Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Jillian from Studio Soprano, and I am joined, as always, by the fabulous Mariah from Mariah Creates. And today I am once again recording on the road, this time back in my hometown of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which is just a few miles south of a town that you might have heard of, the infamous Scranton, PA, home of Dunder Mifflin. Uh, Mariah, did you watch The Office? Were you a fan? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes, I have watched The Office. Um, I, if anyone who does like does not know what Dunder Mifflin is, is like, you know, it is funny. Living how, like, in a rock. Yeah, I do think it's funny how like things like that become much more relatable later. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, I know you and you're from near there. But also, we're both very in the paper business. So it's really funny to like to watch The Office now is always hilarious. Um, and, but yeah, and it's was on The Office. Were you? Really? Oh, we're talking about that later. Yeah, that is, that is happening. Yeah, Corcoran's on the office. You could you could uh, search it on YouTube. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Writing a note to immediately do that afterwards. Yeah, that's hilarious. that is so exciting. Well, we won't be talking about uh, pranks and paper sales, although we might talk about some paper sales in this episode. <laughs> um, but today, I am in the office of today's guest, and I am very excited to have him on because I made a stop right here, literally sat in the same seat just a few weeks before I bought Gordy to talk about the printing industry and all of the possibilities. Um, so we are here with Bill Corcoran, the president of Corcoran Printing, a family business that's been printing since 1940. So Bill, thank you so much for being here today. And we're so glad to have you. Yeah. Welcome, Bill. Well, I'm glad to be here too. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Do you want to start with maybe just like a quick history of Corcoran Printing and kind of give us all a background on the company and and your journey along with it as well? All right. So my grandfather started in 1940 in his basement. He had six kids and he did it to supplement his income. And he had a Chandler Price back in the day. And he had four sons and all of which took turns printing the longer runs on a hand feed Chandler Price throughout the 50s (laughs) before they went to college or off to the service. And in about 1960, my grandfather purchased his first windmill press. And then the volume picked up a little bit more and all four of the sons learned a little bit more. Um, 63, grandpa passed away. My father took over the company and did it as a sideline. My dad was an accountant and he did printing as a sideline from 63 to 1978 in 78. After one year of college, I decided I liked the machines. I liked the print business. I wanted to get more involved. And in 1978, my dad purchased a small retiring printer in downtown Wilkes-Barre that had a Chandler Price, a Klug, a Mealy, and a Multi. And gross sales that year were only $30,000. So we both retained our full-time job. He was a nighttime accountant auditor and I was a garage door installer and we both did that for two years and then I got laid off from my garage door installer job and I said to my dad boy times are really tough for me you know I'm laid off now and he says well he says look at it in a positive light and I says what do you mean I says my income's down he says go out and sell and I said I don't know how to sell he goes well you'll learn and he turned around and walked and that was the beginning of my sales career and it being printing in 1978. Uh, we worked together till 1995. In 95, my dad retired. I purchased the company. Keyword there is purchased. And, uh, I did not have it given to me. And 
we then moved and relocated to our current facility, which was three times larger than our previous one in the year 2000. And that was when I bought my first real offset color, five color Heidelberg, a Speedmaster and a folder and a cutter. And I went into a very large amount of debt to finance it and the building. I did it all at once. And it was a big, big, big move at the time. Uh, But I had great people, um, most of which are still here with the company. Uh, So we started to build the business through direct sales uh, with our increased capability of equipment. And things were really good all through the 2000s, 2010s, you know, a couple of recessions and, uh, you know, market crashes there slowed the economy down and fast forward all the way up to 2019, 2020 when COVID hit and the bottom started to fall out of all businesses. So we reinvented ourselves from, and I read, I'm a big reader, so I read a lot of books, but I read a book on inbound sales versus outbound sales. And that's the key to our success going forward. We transitioned from inbound or outbound sales, traditional knock on the doors, you know, call people to an inbound sales model where all of our leads now come to us on Google through search engine optimization. Uh, And currently we have grown over the last few years to have customers in 45 states and 14 countries, um, all through inbound Google leads. For example, our number one specialty is cigar ring printing. And if you search for cigar ring printing on Google, Corcoran printing comes up number one organically. And sometimes we come up number one and number two organically. That's amazing. It's <laughs> awesome. And it's more fun doing it this way. And we also, yeah, Yeah, I bet. (laughs) And we have on average about a hundred leads a month that come in to us, thereby an inbound sales model. Um, And we average a new customer almost every day. Uh, And it's pretty cool and pretty awesome. I'll give you a couple examples of the type of customers that find us. Uh, We've been found by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. the U.S. Department of State, even the Diplomatic Secret Service of the United States, they all found us on Google because they wanted the special seal with foil and embossing. Um, And we have customers that have collaborations where we do printing for their product with Disney affiliations and Barbie. Mm -hmm. And we got searched out recently by the Dallas Cowboys who wanted a custom cigar ring, the Kansas City Royals. (laughs) They wanted a custom cigar ring, and we're up to over 250 cigar ring customers all over the world. Literally, we have uh, our farthest. We have customers in Zimbabwe, Africa, that buy 50,000 cigar rings at a clip. We have one customer in Australia, and like I said, they come to us through the inbound sales model, through search engine optimization on Google from all over, all over the world. That's amazing. And like, to me, this, like that story compounds even more because Wilkes-Barre is not a large town. Like this isn't really the place where you're like, oh, like, I feel like people could find me here, but the internet makes it so possible. And I feel like even before you guys have switched to this model, though, there was something you were doing that allowed people to sniff you out because I know you've told me a few stories of some interesting clients finding you. Yeah. And, and so I think in general, your marketing tactics have been very strong. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We, we've done all types of different things. For example, um, we've had a Instagram page uh, for probably nine years, maybe eight. Uh, We have over 7,000 followers. Of course, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we used to do more frequently than we currently do an email blast once a month. Um, and having been in the industry for so long, we do get referrals and recommendations. And then because of the industry is compared to 10 or 20 years ago in a decline, 
we do pick up business from people that call and say the other place is out of business. Yeah. Or there's nobody yeah. that we could find to do this anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very weird uh, but good inquiry this year from Norway. Uh, and they are a furniture company that has a distribution hub in Jersey and they want it 40,000 catalogs printed and delivered to Jersey. And they're from Norway and they wired us the money from Norway to produce the piece. <laughs> and it's just weird, but interesting and good. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it probably feels a little random, but then, you know, that's what Google is there for. I mean, what would we do yeah. without yeah. it at this point? Right. That's crazy. Yeah. And we, we have like four other products. I won't get too much in detail on the other products, but uh, jewelry cards, when you think of earrings with a shiny gold or silver logo on a card, that's yeah. one of our specialty products. And we have a couple hundred customers that we do those for necklace jewelry. Um, mm-hmm. Then we do pet products. When you think of uh, a pet backer card for a collar or a leash or a bow, uh, we specialize in pet products, backer cards, um, and foil embossed diplomas. When you think of a university, we actually have a university in Nigeria, Africa, that wanted a gold or red, a red seal foil embossed diploma, 5,000 pieces, and they're from Nigeria. And sometimes you think it's a joke when they inquire. Right. Yeah. Until they give you the credit card and then yeah. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. All right. There's so go. many of those like spam emails that are like Nigerian prince needs your help or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah, funny. So it's kind of interesting and uh, it, it, it works for us. The inbound sales model works. Yeah. And yeah, you have great. such a, you have such a large offering of things that you guys can do here. When did... Like, when do you feel like that really started to open up of having that wide range of capabilities? Because Mariah and I talk about this all the time for our own businesses. Like, there are specific phases we're at right now where, like, we can only offer letterpress in-house or some small digital because the equipment we have. So, like, that's probably your your biggest limitation is the equipment, right? Yeah, so that that reminds me of a, a story. In 1995 or 96 era, when we were in the old building, we had a new front desk person who answered the phone. And that's kind of before email or just when I was getting started. And he didn't have much experience. So I trained him on how to answer certain questions. And he, at the end of the training, he goes, so basically, if anybody calls and say, could we make something like that? I just say yes. And then we figure it out. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> I'm not well, related to anything more. Oh my gosh. That sounds exactly like us. Yeah, just yeah. say yes and we'll figure it out somehow and we'll make it. Yeah. So we got into so many different things. I mean, oh man, like, you know, tickets and perforation. And now one of the big things we do is um, cannabis cigar wraps, cannagars. Uh-huh. We have a bunch of customers on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, probably at 50 in California. A lot of them are for cannabis wrappers. And we've done some beautiful wrappers to quantities as high as 40,000 pieces. Wow. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. And we do a lot of cigar boxes, um, you know, kind of just where certain companies want cigar boxes and they search us out and they find us and we could do the whole thing from lay it out, design it, foil, uh, die cut it and uh, glue it so that they just pop it together when they yeah. when they receive them. And that's starting to be a bigger, bigger, bigger product. But, you know, back in the 80s, one of our most popular products, are you ready for a laugh, was resumes. <laughs> we, we, we did resumes in, oh, in the 1980s. Man. Yeah, we had before computers. So nobody had a computer in the 80s, right? And we had a guy who was a salesman and he had an ad in the paper in a newspaper that he would write your resume for, and then get you 50 printed copies by me for a hundred bucks. So he would meet you at a Dunkin Donuts or a Starbucks and interview you on a Sunday afternoon. And then Monday morning, he would drop off five or 10 resumes handwritten. And then by Friday, we would typeset them on a CompuGraphic typesetter in the eighties oh before people had computers. And we would run off 50 copies with a blank matching envelope and he would pick them up on Friday. So that was our biggest customer in the 80s was doing resumes, five or 10 a week. That was big money oh back goodness. in the day. Yeah, That's crazy. Now it's like every job you apply for, you have to custom 
you know, draft your resume. (laughs) Yeah, you're like filling out their form. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, like you like edit everything to accommodate the job that you're applying for. You know, it's like, yeah, that's true. And some of the products that we did way back when accept resumes, we still do now. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, my grandfather had a brother who was a funeral director. So in the 50s, he had a lot of funeral directors who they did the funeral cards, the prayer cards. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And he had like a little route in the valley where he would drive around and pick up 10 orders of funeral cards. And then that business died, no pun intended. Uh, but then now <laughs> it's circled back around because the funeral directors don't want to do them themselves on their own little inkjet printer. It's too yeah. labor intensive for them and the machine jams and all that. So now it's circled back to where we have a handful of local funeral directors who just say, here, just run a hundred or 200 and get them to me in a day or two in time for the viewing. So those yeah. type of products kind of circled back around in a weird and interesting way. Yeah. And well, we still do little jobs is, like that. Go ahead. Yeah. No, the letterpress is kind of the same way, right? I mean, it's, we, you've seen probably a lot of this throughout your lifetime, but like we've seen it go down and come back up and now it's popular yeah. again. And, yeah. you know, I think yeah. paper print may never actually die. It might just recirculate and kind of become cool again or become, you know, unique again or whatever. Um, yeah. So when really I started with my dad well. speaking, speaking of the letterpress, when I started with my dad, offset was just becoming a thing in the eighties and he had a windmill and a Chandler price. And because offset was so much faster, I used to say, well, dad, why don't you just get rid of those clunkers Like, get rid of them? Cause we don't need those where everything's going to be fast and offset and, you know, we'll buy a bigger and bigger press, which we did, but we had one windmill back then in the eighties. And I only learned kind of on the fly a little bit by watching my dad. And then when I discovered the capabilities of a windmill combined with short run packaging work for die cutting, um, we, I just kept buying them. Um, I have three that are online now and one that's ready to come online and they run and we have them all geared for certain types of things. So we don't have to keep changing over. And we have one that's just set to die cut cigar bands. And it's very, very precise, very labor intensive and a little bit of a tricky setup if you don't really know the machine well. So we got one set and that's where we just run all our cigar bands on that machine. And then we have the other windmill set for various jobs where we switch over constantly. But it really works to the tune of efficiency and productivity and profitability when you could specialize and have the operation geared toward very low setup time. Because in the beginning, you yeah, girls know great. how labor intensive it is to, to learn and the setup and it oh, takes yeah. forever to get it right and all that. So, you know, it's, it's very uh, efficient to model it the way we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Dream That's goals. definitely like the dream come true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally both of us are saying the same thing. Um, uh, yeah, I even just getting starting with die cutting, I everyone asked me like, oh, are you going to die cut on your Chandler and Price? And I was like, no, <laughs> that thing is set up to print. And I don't even want to begin comprehending how I would uh, adjust the platen and do the other things that I would need to do to get it ready for die cutting. Like the way it's set up is great. I'd rather die cut in a separate machine. If I could have a separate Heidelberg for everything, that'd be great. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. I did just get my first die in and Mariah's kindly sending me her die jacket. Um, and I am really nervous that setting up my challenge Gordon for die cutting is then going to screw up everything I have tuned in for it to print. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to try it. I, I really want to try it. Well, die cutting uh, is really a large percentage of our business in terms of sales. And the three windmills that we have now, um, 98% of the work on all three is die cutting. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we That's don't awesome. print. We don't print on the windmills. Um, we foil stamp on one. We foil stamp on a Klug press, which we added in 2014. Um, and we number business forms still with red ink on the rollers yeah. uh, on a windmill. But primarily 98% of our work on all three windmills are die, is die cutting. Yeah. That's a big, That's big, awesome. big thing. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they just, they're really well equipped for it. Yeah. The tolerance level is within a few thousandths of an inch and the accuracy is there. And it's, it's really, they're, they're incredible machines. We have one that was uh, built in the fifties, one in the sixties and one in the seventies. 
and they're all, they all run perfect. Yeah. So are you doing any letterpress printing in house or, or do you guys even do anything with letterpress? No letterpress printing. No, we print everything offset or digitally. Mm -hmm. We have a Heidelberg versifier, uh, which is a 13 by 18 color digital machine, which is great by the way. And I think uh, I'll give Heidelberg another plug because I've owned every copier name I think you could think of from Canon to Sharp to um, Kodak, Xerox. I've had them all, mm-hmm. every one. Heidelberg slash Rico mm-hmm. is the best. Yeah, that's They're awesome. Best. I have never seen the Heidelberg that is down in that first office that you walk into. The Versifier? Ver- yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's a great machine. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's full color printing. Full color printing, duplex, two side, or one color at uh-huh. a reduced click cost. Uh, and it's a fantastic machine. We've had it five years now, and it is the best color or black and white reproduction machine that I've ever had in 40 years. Wow. By far. That's awesome. Yeah. By far. That's amazing. Yeah. And we've tried every other one. Yeah. Yeah. So for something like this cigar box, which can we take a photo of this to yeah, put it sure. up with the episode so everyone can see it? Yeah. So what is the process of making this cigar box? Like what machines are used? Okay, good to question. This? So that cigar I'm box. Show it to Mariah too. Yeah. I was gonna say it, show and tell. <laughs> yeah, the the flat size on it, I'll just say it's maybe eleven by fourteen. Okay. Or eleven by seventeen. So we would print that on. We have one or two four color presses, a Heidelberg Speedmaster, which is a 14 by 20 five color, or we would print it on our PM Heidelberg, which is a 20 by 28. So we would print it one up typically on one of those offset four color presses. Then we would foil it on our Klug. And this one is also embossed. So it's two separate passes or runs uh, on the Klug. And then we would die cut it and some of these type of jobs fit on the windmill and we prefer to die cut on the windmill when at all possible to free the clue up to go on to the next foil job. And then if it doesn't fit on one of the windmills, we also have a Heidelberg SB cylinder die cutter, which is 26 inch wide. So sometimes we die cut on there. Um, and so it'll go through all of those machines offset, wow. then foil and emboss then die cut mm-hmm. and then trimmed and glued or folded. So go through like five machines. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's common here. Yeah. That, that's common. That's how a lot of our jobs are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Mariah, it still probably takes them less time to make this one box than it does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, you, <laughs> you pay to play. Um, do you do a lot of like, is most of your work a lot of like larger quantity sizes or do you do smaller jobs as well? Like what's kind of the threshold for most of your work? Yeah. So it's weird. We have, uh, we set a record in April uh, for the lowest quantity, most expensive cigar ring we ever did. Uh, it was from some organization, I don't even know what state, but they wanted 25 cigar rings and they wanted them foil stamped. It was for a special event. It was a giveaway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we said, well, with the dies and all, it the price is going to be over $600. And they said, so what? We want 25 <laughs> rings with our, with our logo on it. And that's what we want. So how do we get started? We, they said, okay, give us the credit card. And we made 25 cigar rings for 600 bucks. But then we have large volume customers that we do backer cards that get die cut on the windmill to the tune of 500,000 pieces. Wow. So we do something as small as 25 or 50. And we do get a lot of inquiries that are very small. And I say to internally to our folks here, they want what they want Mm -hmm. and they find us and we give them the price and they say, how much will it cost to make, you know, a hundred of these or a thousand. We give them the price and they either want it or they don't. So we do all kinds of short runs um, ones that'll run on digital as well as a press and then big runs. Uh, we have some cigar customers that order 50 to 150,000 cigar rings at a clip. The one yeah. in Africa is 50,000 mm-hmm. per order. Wow. And, uh, they find us and they say they're glad they found us. And we said, we too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. awesome. We have a really similar m- outlook on like, uh, you know, if someone reaches out to Mariah and I and they need like 10 of something, 
we're not going to say no just because it's a low quantity. We're just going to give you the price. And if, if that's in your ballpark, then that's in your ballpark. And you don't know where it could lead to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so always happy to do it. How are you structuring those lower jobs? Because obviously something that is, you know, 50,000 is getting a price break for several reasons. One, like you, it's a larger order of paper. So you're getting a good price on that. And then also like the labor to set up the presses is already done. So once those presses are running, they're running. Yeah. Um, but so when we someone have minimums comes in, in, each, yeah. in each area. So in our pre-press, we have a minimum for different types of jobs where we figure X amount of dollars, let's call it a hundred dollars mm-hmm. to prep the file, to do the proofs, to send the PDF out, to make the internal uh, imposition sheets, and then to ultimately order the die. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a minimum there to foil stamp a job on, we'll say the Klug, we will have a minimum of roughly $120, mm-hmm. whether they want 25 or 10,000. That's our base mm-hmm. to set up a job and get the, the foil. And you know, you have to factor in your foil cost too. And we have all the rainbow of all those colors and then die cutting, you know, we basically, and I don't mind sharing it with you. We have a base charge of about $60 to set up the windmill to die cut any job because mm-hmm. it might take a half hour to an hour, a little bit more. And that's our base. And that's the minimum. So if someone wants, you know, a minimum foil die cut job, you take those bases, add them up. And then after that, if it's a production run of, say, a thousand sheets, you figure out how long it's going to take and add that to your base minimum charge. That's how we do it. Yeah. And, and it works for us. Yeah. That sounds so smart. And I like the idea of setting instead of like having minimum quantities, because a lot of people do that. Like you reach out and they're like, oh, we won't print less than 50. We will. But yeah, it makes sense to like, if you only need 10, I'm not going to waste the paper. I'll only send you 10, but you're still going to pay that same minimum. And most of the time they don't charge. care. Right. They want what they want. Yeah. yeah. It's all in how you yeah. deliver that information to people. Yeah. Like if you just say yeah. yes, here's the price. People are usually like, okay. But if you say, well, we only print 50. (laughs) So we're charging you for 50, but we're only going to send you 10. Well, it changes the perceived value on something. Yes, exactly. You know, you're like, well, I can only do this quantity of 50 or or more. It's like, well, I only need 10. You know, it's like all of a sudden they feel like they're paying for something that they don't need. Whereas like if they're paying that same price for 10 copies, you know, it's like, it's a different perceived value on things, I think. So I like the idea of like a dollar minimum versus a quantity minimum. I think that's a great, a great structure. Yeah. Like that. So you do a lot of custom work, a lot of different types of jobs. What do you keep on hand for like inventory? Are there certain weights, certain stocks, certain colors that you like to keep on hand? Or do you custom order most of the things? Kind of tell us a little about like what paper you keep around. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to it all. (laughs) Yeah. So we have, we have um, many different sizes, many different weights. We have everything from eight and a half by 11, plain white, 20 pound bond uh, to 19 by 25 is our primary sheet size on our offset color presses, um, all different colors, all different weights. And the paper market is kind of difficult now to source and find. We find some papers are available tomorrow and some take three to six months, which is a little challenging. But during the pandemic and into last year, we've uh, became paper hoarders and we admit that. <laughs> Um, to the tune now where we have in-house all different thicknesses from 20 pound bond up to 20 point, which is the thickest for our largest press. And at any given point, we have over 600,000 sheets on the floor of all different sizes. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. 600,000 sheets, different weights, different thicknesses, mostly whites. Yeah. But you name it, we have it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all become hoarders the yeah. past two years. I mean, yeah, usually when you find it, you're like, I'll take all of it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I opened up my first business credit card specifically so I could become a paper hoarder. Yeah. Like, I, I have to have it. It's got to be on hand. Yeah. 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 It also helps that we only print with like two stocks. Yeah. Though. We don't have to stock 60,000 yeah. anything, but like, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> cotton paper especially was hard to find. Um, maybe not especially, but it was really hard to find cotton paper, especially the thicker stocks. 
during all of the pandemic and all the aftermath. So when you find it, you kind of just take whatever they have in stock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said 20 point is the thickest for your largest press. I want to talk about duplexing mostly because we've had really traumatic weeks with it. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I was sharing with Mariah some of the great like duplexing tips. It was actually like one of the last things we talked about last time I left. Yeah. So this is really great, Mariah. This is a duplexed Barbie. Oh my gosh, I love it. Die cut. It's so great. <laughs> That's awesome. For something like this, are you duplexing it after it's printed? Yeah, so the process is we print first, um, and it goes both ways on when it gets foil stamped. Sometimes we foil stamp on the front only and then duplex, but we always duplex before it gets die cut for obvious reasons, like this mm -hmm. one for Barbie. Um, so we usually print first, either digital or offset, then duplex it, and we worked our way up to, well, first we started with just duplexing, as I showed you, manually, mm -hmm. with spraying the sheets and just laying them together and putting a weight on it. So now we bought a duplexing machine, which is a mm -hmm. tabletop, kind of looks like a laminator with some rollers that puts the glue on and squeezes it. And that's been a big productivity increase because uh, we do get some larger orders. We'll get orders up to 50,000 pieces that get duplexed. Mm -hmm. And that machine works very well. And uh, then the final phase would be die cutting after the duplex. Mm -hmm. That's how our process works. Wow. And then using that machine, what is the name of that machine? Is it a pot Devin? Is it a pot Devin? I think so. Yeah, I could look yeah. it up. I forget. I think that's what it is. We've been looking at yeah. that. We've been looking at one of those two. There was just um, an auction in Southern California for a company that was closing and they had one up and nobody was bidding on it. And I was like, man, I really want that. Um, I did not get it though. I have no more space to put things at the moment, but one day. Um, but do you find that using that machine allows you to get, um, this is impeccable registration. Like there are, and I'll take a photo of this as well, but there are two lines on the back of this Barbie card that are perfectly straight and lines like this give me so much anxiety, Mariah. Because yeah. I'm like, if that is not perfectly straight, <laughs> it'll be very obvious. Yeah, it'll be very obvious. So, um, do you find that using that machine, you get really good alignment between the front and the back printing, so, or is so there the, still the, like some the tech, skill to that? The, the tip of the day here it is. <laughs> so, once the glue is applied, whether it's manual or on the machine, it's all about registering just like this. Corner, okay. corner by hand. Uh-huh. Okay. Against a guided edge. And then you get perfect register. Okay. Boom, boom. Yeah. You, you lock it in by hand at some type of some place where you have a, a locked edge. Mm -hmm. You line them up and then it'll hold register. Yeah. And the yeah. sheets are then perfectly registered front to back. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to your paper cutter. And as long as your blade is sharp, it'll cut square yeah and when it goes on the die cutter the die cutter will on the windmill will feed them in straight and you will have no problem with any skewing or register and that is yeah. so like that's so much skill along the entire thing that i hope the person who holds that in their hand at the end appreciates it because it's <laughs> like at every phase first off the even just having i mean obviously you guys are using industrial uh presses to print on it. Whereas like when I'm sometimes running a, a double-sided business card, if I have something digital, I kind of just run it in my Canon Pixma Pro and it's not going yeah. to be perfect on so, every sheet exactly right. where yeah, it so even, even our digital press, which is the Heidelberg Versifier, which I've said before is fantastic. That does not hold perfect register as a printing press will. So we know when there is a certain amount of variance that would be allowed to be approved commercially acceptable and by the customer which jobs if it were to move a little bit yeah like if we're going to die cut just a circle with no printing bleeding off or no edges then it's just a circle right so there's yeah. latitude there to be had but things like that are high quality like that for yeah. like barbie it goes on a press where it locked in register, duplexing it locks in when you do it correctly. Yeah. 
and everything else is, is dialed in to be perfect. Yeah. So yeah. much skill required. It's and amazing. I mean, you do a lot of jobs that are multiple processes. So do you rely heavily on just like registration marks, crop marks, things like that? Yes. Or is there kind of like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably yeah. the well, yeah, okay. it's yeah, we have those registration marks, corner trim marks on all jobs, uh, imposition sheets, follow the job through so that every one of, say, the four or five processes, everybody could see exactly what the end product is as they're yeah. working, as opposed smart. to guessing. Oh, um, yeah, that's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have good, yeah. we, we're a one shift operation, but uh, I give my employees latitude to start when they want. And I have one employee who starts by choice and I emphasize by choice, he starts at three 30 AM by choice. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And he's, he's done at noon. So yeah. more power to him. Yeah. And he's yeah. been here 22 years and that's what he likes. And it works for me and it works for him. Then I have other people in the front end computer design area that like to start at eight or nine. So yeah, I let him. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. honestly, like, having something like that, like a, a form of process to make sure you know what it's going to look like in the That's end key. is so key, even if just one person's working on it, because I had an issue last week where um, the designer sent me their artwork. And the way that I set up my plates is my artboard is usually the final size of the cut paper. And then if anything bleeds off the edge, there's like, it, it'll bleed off the edge and there'll be a, a bleed mark. But they set it up where their artboard had the bleed mark. So in my head, I thought that the artwork was supposed to be centered on the paper, but it actually was supposed to bleed off the bottom edge. But like, had I had a process where I make sure it's printed out, this is what it's supposed to look like. And I did that extra step of due diligence and then had it sitting in, because of course they order their plates like three weeks before I'm even printing it. So, so much time has passed that you know, you kind of just forget those little things. So yeah, yeah having, yeah. having like a really good system of, even if you're the only person working in your business, you should still run your business in such a way that if you, so if you were to leave the office and someone was to walk in, they should be able to pick up where you left off. Exactly. That's the way we do it. Yeah. I mean, how often do you and I, Jillian, like pick up a project, we order plates. And then a week later when the plates arrive, we're like, what's this for? Like, what is this for? <laughs> what yeah. paper am I using? Or, you know, like you have to, we, we do essentially, even though it's just us and our yeah. own businesses, like we do essentially hand it off to someone else. It's, it's me at a later date. That's going to be printing yeah. the project. You know, it's like having that system in place would be pretty helpful. <laughs> so we should probably yeah. work on that. <laughs> yeah. We should definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> Learning as we go. You know, that's um, what we're here for. Yeah. I feel like I have, I I mean, we've answered all the questions on our list, but I feel like I could ask a million more. Right. Is there there anything that's burning in your mind? Um, I just wanted to ask Phil, like, so you've worked on some really cool stuff and you've talked about some of the different like clients and projects, but do you have like a favorite thing that like an all time favorite job maybe, or something that really stands out to you that you just like genuinely enjoy making the most of or um, that's a good question. One of one of the favorites was when we first started foil stamping, and it was the year 2014, I think. And we got a Google inquiry, which happened to be someone local, a local artist. And in 2014, um, they found us on Google to do foil stamping. And that's when we just first started doing foil stamping. And we had to sign a non-disclosure and it was Jessica Simpson's wedding imitation. And <laughs> it was someone local here in our valley, Northeast PA, that had a friend in the Hollywood area that was the wedding planner planner for Jessica Simpson. So we had to sign non-disclosures before we knew who it was and while it was in production. And it was kind of interesting. She said, because I found you on Google. She says, do you do the work right there? We said, yeah, sure. And she says, could I see samples of your work? Yeah. And will all your employees sign a non-disclosure? Because you cannot release any information about the project. And there was several components to the job. And the wedding, I think, was July 5th or July 4th. And it made People Magazine the very next issue right after it. We didn't get a credit in the magazine, but it was like a six-page story with a photograph of all of our work. But, of course, the designer was the only one who they recognized 
uh, we as the printer did not get recognized. But that was a pretty cool project when we were first starting out in the foil world in 2014. Yeah. Jessica Simpson's wedding invitation. So yeah, that was we're kind ready of to kick cool. that off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was kind of fun and kind of cool. And it was a tight yeah, deadline too, I, I recall. And we made it and then it was featured in the People magazine. So that was kind of neat. And there's been a lot of interesting ones I mentioned before where when you get an inquiry from the Dallas Cowboys or the Kansas City yeah. Royals that that want, you know, a foil stamp project for you know, a gala or an event for charity in their private box where they just want to give away a hundred or 200 with foil stamp logos on it. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And they find us and they just say, you can make them and we need them for a certain date. And we get a lot of that. We, um, we're doing one, uh, today, which I'll show you after we're done here. We're doing uh, 40,000 cigar rings for, um, oh, let's see. Ocho, Ocho Cinco. He's a professional football player who changed his name literally to Ocho Cinco. His real name is Brad Johnson, and he has his own cigar line now. So today we're doing 40,000 cigar rings for Ocho Cinco. And (laughs) it's kind of cool. So the listeners who know who that is, it's kind of cool and kind of interesting. Um, so we get a lot of interesting inquiries like that and it, it makes the business a little bit more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's, so when I first got into the business and got my press, I really was just thinking of printing my own work. And then, um, you know, with 2020 kind of being hard to market for more weddings because a lot of weddings aren't happening. And then, uh, they started picking up and other people needed letterpress work. Like, I don't think there's enough, enough letterpress printers in this country to keep up with the demand. Um, and everyone needs everything tomorrow. <laughs> like nobody has the time to wait for it. It was really exciting to take on other people's projects. Cause then now you're getting to see like what they're doing and like what other people are doing. And we have some friends who have printed for celebrities and stuff. And it's just because they're, they're opening up their shop to print other people's work. And it's, it's really fun. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is cool. And it's a lot more fun when it's and interesting when it's things like that. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. It's oh, always welcome. so delightful to talk to you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, we, you know what? Let's do a little plug for Bill Jr. has a podcast sure. called On the Stacks. Yes. Which he started yeah, we'll have to here. Yes. Literally sitting on stacks of paper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and dad gave him the idea because he was sitting on, we just did a half a million run of envelopes. Uh-huh. And I oh said, boy, gosh. that's a big run. Look at all those envelopes. It was like a wall. Yeah. And I said, you should take a picture of that, put it on Instagram and Facebook. And he kind of looked at me and I said, you should do it. And he did it. And then people saw it and said, hey, I want to get my picture taken on them stacks too. <laughs> and that's how it started. <laughs> He'll be happy to hear That's this. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, he's got a great setup here, Mariah. You'll be really jealous. I'll send you some photos. But um, yeah, and it's a great podcast. He interviews um, so many really inspiring um, business owners and, and tells great stories. Um, so highly recommend listening to that. And yeah, if you ever need any foil stamping or cool die cutting if you're ordering some cigars <laughs> <laughs> jewelry cards jewelry packaging cards. yeah all kinds of cool things yeah. yeah 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 feel free to check out our instagram page we have about seven thousand followers and we highlight a lot of our work on instagram on a weekly basis and then a lot of it is on our website corporateprinting.com some yeah. of the the, the um customers and jobs that I talked about are on there, like the Perfect. Department of State and Secret Service. Which is so cool. Yeah, thank you. It's so yeah, that's cool. wild. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It all started with a little Chandler price in nineteen forty in Grandpa's <laughs> basement. Do you still have that press? No, unfortunately we do not. Um I don't recall what happened to it, but we had a few like that. But as I said before, the windmills came into play yeah, and, and we, then the Chandler prices 80s. are no longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were kind of yeah. like going to go all offset. And then my dad said, no, just keep that windmill. You'll be happy you kept it someday. And yeah. I didn't understand that then, honestly. Today. I, really <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get, yeah, I wanted to just get rid of that stuff. Yeah. Because to me, it was old and slow and mechanical. Yeah. Well, now they're just fantastic. Yeah. Almost yeah. half our work is die cut, which is unbelievable. Yeah, That's it really awesome. is. It, yeah, yeah, and the die cutting on the windmills is superb. 
they really are like a marvel of engineering. Yeah. It, it's very impressive yep. with, you know, we just did a whole episode on them, uh, how much tolerance you can tune in yeah. and to think of when those machines were actually first designed. It, it just blows my mind because they really are is. very intelligent machines. For, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It, they're so sophisticated and so well engineered, made in Germany. They are incredible machines. Yeah. And they're almost indestructible. Yeah. Almost. You hear that, Mariah? Yeah. I don't know. Break. I can't wait. I know. I don't think I will. I think I can handle it, maybe. But yeah, I have a 1958 uh, Heidelberg. It's a black ball uh, Heidelberg. And I just need to get the plug rewired on the motor. And then I think I'll be ready to go. So I'm very excited. But um, yeah, they're just so, they're so interesting and they're so intricate. There's so many, so many points you can adjust. Um, which compared like going from a Chandler and price to that is pretty mind blowing. So I'm very excited, but yeah, I can't even imagine really like it. the big, yeah, I can't even imagine the big like Heidelberg, you know, cylinder uh, offset presses and stuff. I, I think that those would probably be pretty incredible to watch them work. Um, yeah. It all starts with a windmill first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One press at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lavar, I'm there. Great. Can't wait for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Oh, we really welcome. appreciate it. You're and um, we will be linking everything in the show notes and yeah. On the Instagram as well. Yeah. And okay. on Instagram. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Thanks, Thanks so Bill. You're welcome. Nice to meet you. Nice to talk to you. Same here. <laughs> oh my gosh, Mariah. That was amazing. Oh, I, Bill is so great. I'm also very excited to listen to his son's podcast because it'll be fun to kind of hear, I don't know, like it's always fun when you connect with people who are in the industry, but like in a different way, that's not necessarily industry related. So that'll be fun. Um, I did scroll through his podcast and realized he has like a hundred and something episodes. So I'm going to probably pick and choose some to start off with, but um, yeah, it'll be fun to connect his podcast with Bill telling us about where he recorded and took that initial photo on the stacks. So um, yeah, that'll be great. And I'll go through, I'll go through and see if I've starred any of the episodes because I have listened to a bunch of them. It's like actually like reinvigorating, like my appreciation and love for where I grew up because there's all of these super amazing businesses that are yeah. started in that area. Um, you know, Corcoran printing being one of those. So it's, Oh, gosh, it's just so cool. And every time I sit down with Bill, I am like, you are the most fascinating human being in the entire world. Like, <laughs> you should have your own podcast. You should have yeah. your own podcast. <laughs> I wonder if his son has done an episode with him. Because if he hasn't, then we beat him to the punch on that, at least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Bill Sr. was great. Um, it's also really, like, just such cool projects that they've worked on. Um, like, to do... Barbie hang tags for their, you know, uh, products with Stony Clover and cigar bands being like a specialty niche for them. Like, I just think that's such a brilliant, like, it's so fun and so unique. And I love that. Um, yeah. And, and after we, after we recorded, I took a tour through, um, through the shop with Bill and the Stony Clover orders are like, reams giant reams of paper stacks and stacks and stacks high and all these different like colorways and whatever and they're uh digitally printed you know receipt booklets that get die cut and then folded and then hand glued and there is like thousands upon thousands of them and it's just so cool to like see like a project of that scale and just yeah it's with really a small neat. local business it. like it's not yeah. just you know like it's not I also like a lot of what they do is gold and embossed and a lot of those like seals and stamps and things a lot of that stuff usually gets shipped overseas that a lot of that stuff usually gets outsourced overseas because it's a lot less expensive so I personally really love seeing businesses like you know Corcoran printing uh supported by huge companies like yeah. Barbie Mattel, whoever they are. And, you know, the department of Homeland security, like I think it's super <laughs> cool to see like these giant projects being handled by a, essentially a small business. Um, not that yeah. their production is small, but you know, they are a small 
family owned business. And I think that's incredibly important. Um, so yeah, it's just great to see overall, but yeah, Bill is great. And he's so like open and forthcoming, which is so appreciated. Um, as most of our listeners know, Jillian and I do not like gatekeeping and Bill is the opposite of that. So we hardcore appreciate that. Um, so yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I guess field trip to Pennsylvania that'll be on our road trip map we'll go to Pennsylvania and visit all the people that we've talked to we'll have to go up to New Hampshire we'll have to go down to Texas it'll be great yeah I will say I do really enjoy recording on the road I like being in someone's studio and or their office and like seeing them face to face so um Hi, yes, we made a letterpress supply guide and by (laughs) supporting us uh, via that amazing resource for yourself, um, we could possibly like go on the road and interview more printers and be there in person. And then we could video it and we could show you like what people are doing and we're, we'd be so excited to do that. So if you are interested by any means, we'd appreciate the support and also we'll hook you up with like (laughs) the need to never Google something again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, literally. He'll never have to search for anything letterpress related. It'll be right there for you. Um, it's funny because I was literally thinking about saying the same thing that Jillian just said uh, the moment that we were talking about the road trip. I was like, if enough people buy the guide, 2023, Jillian and Mariah can go on the road. We'll have a little YouTube channel or something. Maybe we'll do like members only. Like you have to, you know, join us to to enjoy the videos. But um, <laughs> either way, if it would be so fun to go visit our vendors in person and, um, you know, the support of everyone who buys the guide and any merch that we come up with, uh, that just is supporting the podcast and allowing us to keep doing what we love, which is helping everyone, uh, learn about letterpress and supply their shops and all of that. So thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to everyone supporting us and thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. Nelly just looked at me like I'm fucking crazy. (laughs) She obviously knew that before today.